Today you're in for a special treat. I'm so excited that you've chosen to take a part of your Sunday to be with us because we have a special guest speaker with us today. His name is Pastor Ryan Oletsky. He is a senior pastor of a church in Spokane, Washington called True Hope. A little over 10 years ago, he and his wife Annie got together with what I would call 18 crazy people who packed everything up, left Yakima, Washington, moved to a brand new city, and started a church. And I want to let you know that over the last 10 years, God has done amazing things. I know that your faith is going to be built up today. And I know that you're going to be encouraged. And I know this because I've known this man my entire life. I love this man. He is my cousin. And I know that today you're going to be encouraged in your faith. In fact, one of the things that he wasn't aware of, I got together with our communications team and I thought I would shoot a video to introduce him properly to Life Center. So take a moment, check out this video. Hey, Life Center, I'm so glad that you're here today because you are in for a special treat. Today we have a guest speaker and he happens to be Pastor Ryan Oletsky. Ryan, he leads a church in Spokane, Washington called True Hope. They planted that church a number of years ago. He'll probably tell you a little bit about that story today. But one of the reasons why I'm so glad to have Ryan here is I've known Ryan my entire life and I love this man. In fact, I, I have to love this man. And here's why. He's also my cousin. And there's so many stories I could tell you, uh, one of which is a little bit embarrassing on my part. When we were little, I had Ryan up on my shoulders and I dropped him and he fell on his head and hit a rock. The good news is he's okay. Um, and I'm thankful that he found it in his heart to forgive me. But what I love about Ryan is that throughout the years, his devotion to Jesus, his love for the church has shined through. In fact, I remember in high school, just his love for God, his love for scripture, it was evident in his life and it inspired me being a few years older. And so today I'm so excited to have him at Life Center bringing the message. Life Center, would you put your hands together and welcome Pastor Ryan Oletsky. Thank you. It is great to be with you. I just want to start, Pastor Tyler, I forgive you. <laughs> I extend that mercy and that grace I received in Christ. And I pass it to you for all the things you did to me as an older cousin. You know, I, uh, I don't remember too well him dropping me. I have a scar, though, on my head to prove it. But I do remember later in life, I was a freshman in high school, Tyler was a freshman in college, and he always had this just kind of like older cousin, kind of would saunter over to me with this kind of like strength. Now again, look at me, look at him. There was a time as a freshman in high school, I grew in stature enough where Tyler came at me again, kind of with that goofy, playful, aggressive, you know, tone and posture, and I just decided in my head, I had had enough. I had had enough. It's like an older brother moment picking on me. I'm like, that's it. And I remember us being on, he's blocked this from his memory. I've asked him. He wiped it out because it was a moment of shame and embarrassment. But we wrestled it out on the stage at Eastridge Church. And uh, he thought he could pin me, but I pinned him. And I'm just here to tell you, uh, he's never messed with me since. <laughs> it, was a, it was an incredible moment in my life. 
I am super honored to be here. Uh, super grateful, uh, Tyler, for the invitation. Uh, my wife, Annie's right here in the front. Give a wave, honey. We do have four kids you saw on the screen there. Uh, our oldest, Brayden, and then uh, my daughter, uh, Emma, and then two younger sons, Jackson and Liam. And yes, we moved to Spokane, Washington. It's almost 11 years ago now in planting True Hope Church. And I'll tell you this. It's the second clearest thing God's ever spoke to me to do. It wasn't just a good idea. It was a God idea. And I think that's a very important distinction. And I'll tell you the thing that burned in my heart and still burns in my heart to this day. I love seeing the word of God, the gospel message, create a gospel people. It's so incredible. And so I'm so thankful to stand here a hundred plus years of history in this place where the gospel message that we didn't create, we didn't come up with, we didn't just look deep within and figure out if we could find some really cool one, two, three step for a significant life. We received it. We are those who have received this good news message. And it's wild that God in his faithfulness, the power of his spirit, when Christ is proclaimed dead and then raised to life, it creates a people, a people who identify with him, who serve each other, who are on mission to help heal this world. So it is so, uh, such an honor to be here. I'm so grateful to share the scripture with you. I pray our heart posture would be that we would come under the authority of scripture today, you and me, so that God's gospel word, his good word would create in us life purpose, and hope. Well, you're in a series called The Good Life. You've been talking about the good life with God and with others. And my assignment today is to talk about the good life as it pertains to rest. I want to talk to you about rest. The good life in general, as I've already mentioned, doesn't come from you or me. It's not our ingenuity, our ability, or our tenacity. It is rather a gift from God to us that we experience when we live life his way. John 10, 10, Jesus said this, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. This is the good shepherd, Jesus the good shepherd saying, my sheep know me, hear my voice, they won't follow another. And he's come to bring us, to give us life. We don't find life, we receive life in Christ. And so I want to talk about rest and its place and its power in the good life. Here's the tension. We are living in an age of increasing speed, increasing, increasingly we're being stretched thin. We're being lied to with this temptation that we can have omniscience and omnipresence in our hands in the form of smartphones. The world is speeding up. The world is getting smaller at the same time. And what's happening in many of our souls is we're being sped up to a pace that cannot be sustained. And it's not the good life. The culture is screaming, go faster, get more, do more, be more, know more. And yet that promise is not delivering in our lives. In fact, if we're not careful, the speed at which we will end up moving and living and operating is not just a bummer, it's a big problem because it will lead to inevitably burnout and crash. It's not if we'll burn out, it's when. If we live our life at the pace and at the instruction that the culture around us is trying to teach us. But we're called 
to the good life. We're called to rhythms of rest. Now, I know if you're here and you're hearing this, I'm going to be talking about rest. There's probably something that comes to your mind. I don't know, pina coladas and a beach somewhere and a sunset. Sounds really good, but I'm actually not talking about vacation. I'm not, I'm not even talking about relaxation. I'm not talking about relief. I'm talking about biblical, Christ-centered rest. And my assignment today is to, I think, clear that up for us, to clarify what rest is and what it's not so that our commitment to practice rhythms of rest can be well-informed. And then I want to drive us to the heart of Christ to know where this rest comes from, that it comes from Jesus. So how do we build the good life with biblical Christ-centered rest fueling us towards our purpose? Well, I'm going to start a little bit differently in my message today. I'm going to give you the main takeaway, the main thought, the challenge at the start and kind of work our way backwards. Here's the main thought. Choose to make rest a non-negotiable rhythm in your life. That's the challenge. That's the call. That's what I want you to be wrestling with. If we were to end right here, though, it would be woefully insignificant because we'd all leave and imagine we would employ some version, some vision, some definition of rest that may or may not be what Christ has promised and what the scriptures teach. So choose to make rest a non-negotiable rhythm in your life. Here's where this comes from, if you're wondering. Genesis 2.2 says this, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. By the way, he was creating Everything we see and know, the crowning culmination of creation being humanity, Adam and Eve made in his image. The text continues, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. If God did it, we should do it. God rested. God modeled this. And so how in the world do we think we're going to get anywhere near the good life if we also don't practice rest. This requires us to submit our lives, to check our version of rest with God's. Proverbs 3, 7 and 8 says this, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. You and I think we know what will bring health to us. The culture around us is groping in the dark about what it thinks will bring life and meaning and significance and purpose to existence. But here, we're instructed, do not be wise in your own eyes. Instead, fear the Lord. Put him in his proper place. This is the beginning of us embracing a life of rest. God's ways are not ours, and we cannot merely nod our head and agree and make this scripture matter. We must submit to it, practice it with obedience and repentance. So rest is integral to the good life. What is it? Not what does the culture say, not what do you think. What really is it? Two things it's not, and two things it is to help frame this biblical kind of rest I'm talking about. Number one, rest is not vacating our reality, but rather reordering it around Christ. I want you to know, I'm not here today 
peddling relief and relaxation tips and slapping a Christian sticker on it. That's not what we're doing. That's not what I'm talking about. If that's all this is, then anyone can do it. There's a deeper supernatural rest that God is inviting us into. And it's not just relief, it's not relaxation tips, it's not escapism, it's not medication and medicating ourselves into distraction, which is the pattern of the day. It is reordering our realities around Christ. We all have realities. We have jobs, families, if you're married, a spouse, if you have children, children. There are things we're not trying to escape from or vacate from, we need to reorder them. I like basketball. When I was newly married, had our first child, Braden, I was playing basketball with some friends at the church I was serving as a youth pastor at. And I remember as we finished playing hoops together, uh, the guys started talking, saying, hey, what are we gonna go do after this? Let's go hang out, let's go have some, some dinner, spend some time together. And I'm thinking, you know, I have one kid, newly married, I'm like, that sounds good. I want to go do that. And I'm about to commit to go join these guys and hang out. And I remember in the back of my head, oh, man, my wife had asked me to be with my son, prayed in this afternoon. I'm not going to be able to make it. So I look at my buds, and here's what I say. Sorry, guys, I can't go. I got to go home and babysit my kid. <laughs> yeah, some of you know where this is going. <laughs> what? One of these guys, single guy, by the way, not married, doesn't have children, looks at me like one eyebrow cocked in the air and goes, do you mean parenting? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that, that's what I mean right there. I was in that challenging season of like, I was actually a father, but I hadn't learned to reorder the reality of my life around the thing that God had done and what God was doing. For a lot of us, this is the challenge with rest. We're trying to, to vacate our life. We're thinking, well, I can't do that. I can't run away. I can't take a vacation every week. I can't get away from this spouse that you gave me, Lord. I can't get away from these kids. I can't get away from this job. And what I want you to know is rest is not about you getting away. It's about you reordering your life around Christ, about seeing your life through Christ's lens. Rest is not vacating our reality, but reordering it around Christ. Secondly, rest is not the absence of activity, but is instead the presence of partnership with the Lord. Sometimes we get nervous, right? I'm up here talking about rest. Some of you are like, you talking about laziness? Sloth? Like, here's the deal. I know a lot of people who quote-unquote rest a lot, but they really are just lazy. We're not talking about that. We're talking about active partnership with the Lord. Many of us struggle with the concept of Sabbath and rest and slowing in our lives, and we're contending for that as the good life because we grate against what seems like slothfulness. I want you to know, rest is not absence of activity. It's not doing nothing. Some of us, if we're uh, wired like more type A, we're more goer type people, the idea of taking a day, a week, and practicing Sabbath sounds terrible. You're imagining you're just like hiding in a room somewhere, like, you know, 
meditating, singing worship songs over and over again, staring at the ceiling and not knowing if you can do it for much longer. Rest is not the absence of activity. It's partnership with the Lord. This isn't some promotion of slothfulness, lack of discipline, or vilifying productivity. It is, however, a warning that productivity and efficiency and achievement often become idols. They become things we engage in on their own, and it's not partnered with the Lord. Therefore, we get exhausted because we're doing things that aren't fueled by God's spirit and God's grace. Zach Eswine, a pastor, said this. If we have to resist rest to maintain momentum, it's not the Lord's energy we are trusting. I read that when I was on my first sabbatical. I took a sabbatical in 2019. Our church leadership, church family, has a sabbatical policy every seven years. It's not because I did something wrong. It's not because I was in hot water. It's not because... I was ultimately threadbare. Our vision about Sabbath and rest is a proactive approach, not a reactive approach. So proactively, our church family and leadership team gave this gift to myself and to our family. And so we spent 12 weeks on sabbatical. I read Zach Eswine's book. It's called The Imperfect Pastor. This quote in this book lit my soul up. I like momentum. I like going somewhere. I like seeing God's work, God's kingdom go forth. I, I, I want to see progress. But I will tell you, it is an important lesson to learn that if we have to resist rest in order to maintain momentum, that's just a wall that's about to fall down. The Lord will empower you. He will build his church. He will strengthen you. Rest is not the absence of activity. It's partnership with the Lord. Rest is now not just what it's not. What is it? It's the foundation of work, not the other way around. Many of us are working for rest. We're just like working hard Monday through Friday and then woo! The weekend is here. I can chill a little bit. No, 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 friends. We work from rest. Not for it, from it. Even our calendar. Sunday is the Lord's Day. And it doesn't have to be the only day. We Sabbath, but we pause. We stop. We receive the life of Christ. And that rest fuels us. We work from rest, not for rest. Rest is a gospel gift. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 4 talks about this. It's a spiritual thing. It's a trust thing. We receive the life of God from God, which empowers us. We're free from striving, proving, or earning God's approval because we've received it in Christ. When this happens, rest becomes our fuel, our launching pad. We practice rest well so that we can bring our best efforts to our work, our family, our community, our nation, our world. Rest is the foundation of work, not the other way around. The second thing that rest is, is this. Rest is best experienced from slowing, not always sprinting. 
And I want to talk about this distinction. I think it's important. I'm going to borrow uh, uh, some imagery here that you'll all be very familiar with. You ever been in a plane at max altitude and thought to yourself, how slow are we going? You know what I'm saying? You look out the window, especially if it's a clear day, you look down, you're thinking, we must be hardly moving. Friend, you're going extremely fast, like 600 miles an hour fast, but you don't perceive it. The other thing is a high altitude plane cannot go from 600 miles an hour and then eventually get to a stop without doing two things. It must descend and it must slow. When the plane descends, it comes down and it slows. Only then is it able to safely land and stop. Some of us, our lives are going so fast and we're so unfamiliar with slowing. We hear a message on rest, Sabbath, stopping, and we think there's no way I could do this. Start by descending, humbling yourself and admitting you're not as important as you think you are. That life, life doesn't need you in all of its facets as much as you think it does. Descend a little bit. And then slow a little bit. The image of slowing is so biblical and so important. Genesis chapter 5 is a character named Enoch. There's only a couple verses in the entirety of Scripture written about this man. Here's what it says. Enoch walked with God, and then he was no more. And we think, what a lame life. Like, I'm not sure how productive he was. Nobody's putting a plaque anywhere in that guy's name. Oh, check yourself. He's in the Bible for one thing, walking with God, and then no more. He didn't run with God. He didn't sprint with God. He walked with God like Adam walked before the fall in the cool of the garden. He walked with God. We don't run with God. We don't sprint with the Spirit. Paul says in Galatians 5, we walk in step with the Spirit. I know it's uncomfortable to hear. It's challenging for me, but it's important for us to hear. God, in his infinite wisdom, has set the relational speed, the relational pace of intimacy with him at the pace of a walk. And I think there's a reason for it. I know this. If I leave this beautiful building and property today, hop in the car with my wife, and we zip around Tacoma 30, 40 miles an hour around the streets, I will see a lot of things. It'll even give me the impression I've been a lot of places. But if I were to leave this property with my wife hand in hand and walk through this neighborhood, I'll see less things. But I will be able to respond actively to that which I see. A lot of us are flying at high altitude speeds, not able to slow and descend. And the benefit of slowing and descending is tuning your life with the Lord in particular to the pace of a walk where you can hear his voice, receive his grace. You can smell the flowers. You can notice your neighbor put a hoop in front of their yard. And then you can talk with them. You can be the hands and feet 
of Jesus. You can be present with your spouse, your children, and those that God has put in your life as gifts of grace. We have got to understand that rest is best experienced from slowing, not always sprinting. Now let me just pivot here a little bit. If I was to end the message right here, it'd be pretty good. That was a joke, it didn't land, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was hoping I'd get like, yeah, yeah, it would be, it would be. <laughs> We're getting to know each other, it's okay. Um, but it'd be, it'd, be, it'd be woefully inadequate. It actually, I think it'd be terrible, to be quite frank. Because what you'd have is someone telling you from his own experience, and I think based on biblical wisdom, what rest isn't, what rest is, and that we should do our best this week to make rest a non-negotiable rhythm in our life. And we just leave here thinking, well, I'm going to try, 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 and hope it'll be better. And I just want you to know, that's good, but not great. Because we need to experience an infusing of power from the living God. This is not something God is saying, hey, I like rest. Hope you can figure it out. On you go. This is something so intimately connected to the heart of Christ for you and for me. Jesus wants to give this to you. And he wants us to receive it. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, Jesus said this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He didn't say, I'll give you tips to go find rest. Come to me, burdened and weary. I will give you rest. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. These words feel like still waters. They feel like green pastures. They feel like a good shepherd coming alongside us saying, I'm not just giving you tips for relaxation and relief. I'm orienting you to me. I am the fountain of life and rest that you crave. And so he invites them. And he invites us by the power of the Spirit and the power of Scripture to come to him today. Two invitations I want you to see in this invitation from Jesus. Number one, come to me. Jesus makes it simple. The gospel is simple. He just says, come to me. As you are, where you are, with what you're doing, with how fast you think you're going, stop trying to clean up, scrub up, figure it out, so whatever you bring, God's impressed with. Just come. You're weary and you're burdened. Come to me. This rest that I'm talking about will not be embraced or enjoyed simply because we talk about it at church or you make a plan this week. That's a good start, but it's sustained from Christ. So we must come to him once, yes, but come to him again. Some of us are thinking, I've come to Christ. I want you to hear this. No, come continually to Christ. He is a fountain of life and grace and peace and rest. 
Come to me, Jesus says. I want to ask you a question because this gets into our hearts a little bit. How are you avoiding God today? Where are you and I avoiding God today? Where are we saying but not saying, I got that figured out. I'll handle that on my own. I don't need your help there. I already have a plan for that. Where and how might we be avoiding God? And you're here today, and what the Holy Spirit is saying to you in this message is you need to come again. Bring that before the Lord. He is the fountain and source for rest and peace in this area of your life. So Jesus starts by saying, come to me. The second thing he says is a little bit more challenging. He says, take my yoke upon you. What does that mean? It's an illustration that was more common in this day where there would be a harness, an apparatus that would be put on the shoulder of oxen and they would be forced, restrained into a particular activity. It was restraining and limiting. Jesus says, come to me. That's step one. But then he says, accept my limits for you. Accept my restraints for you. Let me govern you. Let me lead you. Learn from me. We should believe in Jesus. We do. He lived, he died, he rose. And in faith, we believe that is our life. But from that belief, we should move into taking his yoke on us and learning him. Friends, we're called to learn Jesus, not merely believe in Jesus. To learn him. Learn him is embracing his yoke. It's understanding that the limitless life that the culture is screaming is a lie. It's understanding and discerning the trap, the myth of more, more, more. And that will lead to what we crave when the yoke of Jesus is saying, no, I am the only one that leads to what you crave. Let me also just make this plain because it's uncomfortable, I know. You're like, I don't like the idea of a yoke. That feels enslaving, that feels limiting, that feels controlling. Let me just help you real quick with this imagery. You're already yoked, friend. What you talking about? I'm not yoked. Yes, you're already being moved away. You don't, there's no neutral. We're either letting the spirit of the age, culture of our day, and its value systems, and its targets for the good life, and its perceptions of what is good, right, and wholesome, we're either having that, either you don't even think it's intentional, but it's seeping in in all of the channels in which our lives are inevitably interwoven into it. And what's happening for Christians is either this, you're either being counterformed by culture or you're being formed by Christ. That's it. There's no neutral. There's no like in between. You're either being counterformed by the culture or you're being yoked and formed by Christ. And there will be some limits to that, some uncomfortability, some moments where you want to go this way, but Jesus is saying you need to go this way. Rest is one of those things. It's one of those things. We must take his yoke upon us and answer the question, what is training me and shaping me most right now? Is it the word of God? 
Is it the community of God's people? Is it a vision for God's kingdom as it is in heaven on this earth? Is it that or is it something else? I've come today to talk about rest, yes. To remind you and challenge you to make it a non-negotiable rhythm in your life, yes. I've come today to carve at your definition of rest so that we might have a more faithful, biblical picture of what this rest is that Christ offers. But most importantly, I have come to remind you that this rest that we crave, we cannot create. We receive it at the feet of Jesus again and again and again. And it's not lazy, it's not passive, it's an active, yoked obedience that we say yes to his limits, his restraints, and his vision for our life. I want to close with an illustration. Do you remember the uh, WWJD bracelets? Maybe you're still rocking one of those. They were kind of like super vogue and then they kind of went out of style and then like, I think maybe they're back. I'm like pushing 40, so I'm not sure what's hip anymore. So, uh, WWJD bracelet, the point was to look at it and go, oh yeah, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? I have bad news for us. They didn't work. <laughs> they didn't work. You say, what? I'll tell you why. Because in the moment of high stakes temptation, out there at a high altitude speed with life, just coming at us. We do not suddenly, haphazardly find the capacity for Christ-likeness because we want to, or we hope to, or we put a bracelet on our wrist. You know, back to basketball. Spokane, where I'm from, just held Hoop Fest, the largest three-on-three -three tournament in the world. Thousands, tens of thousands of people fly into, drive to our community and flood the streets of downtown, like nine blocks Maybe more. It's, it's wild. If you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. I played in Hoopfest in 2019, the year I was on sabbatical. Because normally I'm kind of busy on Sundays, so I couldn't make it work. <laughs> Particular Hoopfest I was in was a lot of fun. We won a handful of games. I felt like I was playing some pretty good basketball. And then it got heated, and uh, they, they basically, the teams, as they're winning, were like, you know, elbow the big guy, he's playing down low, just beat him up, so I got beat up. It was the last time I played Hoop Fest because I realized there's a temptation here to act in a way that's gonna put the pastor of True Up Church on the front page of the paper. <laughs> and <laughs> that ain't gonna be good for me or anybody. And so I just had to be calm. But anyway, my, my basketball game, quite frankly, it's seen better days. It's seen better days. I wear Paul George twos. Those are the shoes that I wear. Anybody, maybe you got some Jordans, you got some LeBrons, whatever it is that you wear. Here's what I know about basketball shoes. They're important because the movements are strenuous and difficult, but they've never yet made me play like their namesake. <laughs> it hasn't happened. I put on the LeBrons, I play like almost 40-year-old Ryan Oletsky. I put on the Paul Georges, I play like almost 40-year-old Ryan Oletsky. Put on... The Jordans, come on, somebody. And I play like Ryan Oleski. Some of us have this approach to our spiritual lives. We think, we think I can add one external element of the Christian life. I could, I could leave the sermon today, look at my calendar and block out a couple Sabbath days and think I did it. 
I, I, I could come to church as much as I can and try to add Jesus to my life. That's not going to get you the good life, friend. You need to come to him and put his yoke on you. You need to be trained by him. Learn of his ways. This will lead us to rest that we can work from. This will lead us to a place where we can reorder our reality around him. This is the good life. Oswald Chambers says this, the Sermon on the Mount is not a set of principles to be obeyed apart from identification with Jesus Christ. The Sermon on the Mount is a statement of the life we will live when the Holy Spirit is getting his way with us. In other words, no one ever says, if you want to be a great athlete, go vault 18 feet, run the mile in under four minutes. Or if you want to be a great musician, play the Beethoven Violin Concerto, which are great feats of mastery. Instead, we advise the young artist or athlete to what? To enter a certain kind of overall life. One involving deep associations with qualified people as well as rigorously scheduled time, diet, and activity for the mind and body. Likewise, friends, if we want real and abiding rest, that's not vacating our realities or the absence of activity, but is the foundation of our work. And it is slowing so that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus to those that God puts around us then we must come to Jesus, experience him as the fountain of life and rest and accept his yoke daily. This will lead to what he promised, not tips for relief and relaxation, but a deep and abiding rest in the very life of God that will fuel our purpose to his glory. Let me pray for us as we close. Father, right now in Jesus' name, I pray over this wonderful church, over these friends that are here lending their ear, not to me, but to the words of Christ. Oh God, come in the power of your spirit and welcome us. Break down the walls uh, call us out of our hiding places. Call us out of our vestiges of, of self-reliance and pride. Lord Jesus, grant us the courage to slow, to descend, to humble ourselves and match our gate to yours. That we might be infused with the very life of God. That we can work from it, lead from it, live from it, point others to you in it. Help us, God, to be committed to rest because we've encountered the living Christ. I ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.